Yo, what up? This is your boy D Knight, and you're listening to the Part of the Interaction Podcast. Uh, we had a lot going on over the course of the last couple of days, of which I'm sure you all are well aware. Uh, we got the hangover from the Trump mug shot, the photo that will live on in infamy forever, as well as the hangover from the GOP kitty table debate. Uh, where, of course, it appears that the most insane of the candidates uh, that are running for the election, the Republican Party, uh, that person came away with with the highest increase in support among voters, I would imagine. That would be of Vivek Ramaswamy. Doesn't believe in climate change, wants to pardon Trump if elected. Also believe that during the 9-11 attacks that federal agents were on board the planes, just just pulling random shit off his ass. Uh, he said some things, some some rather unfortunate and colorful things about a couple of House representatives. Uh, just uh, I won't repeat them here again. Just embarrassing. <laughs> a shame that like the Republican Party, no matter how bad Trump does, they they'll always want more. If not him, like a clone of him. It's, it's absolutely insane. As well as that unfortunate shooting in Florida over the weekend where an individual uh, that we believe to be of the Nazi persuasion targeted a number of of a number of black individuals at a Dollar General store in Jacksonville. Uh, And this comes on the heels of Ron DeSantis saying a number of insane things in the debate, uh, you know, invoking violence, saying he'll begin his administration by slitting throats and just all the crazy stuff he's been saying uh, also passing a, a, a number of practically anti-black legislation in Florida removing black prosecutors I mean just like I can't prove it of course but I'm sure there's a direct link between his absurd rhetoric and, and this unfortunate loss of lives down in Florida of course Republicans like DeSantis and others continue to pump out guns into the streets so these unfortunate events will continue to happen sadly we got a couple of things to get to on this pocket part in addition to part of the insurrection. But before we do that, let's give a shout out to our sponsor, Sheets and Giggles, the man with the amazing sheets, Colin McIntosh, CEO of Sheets and Giggles, would like for you to sleep in the most luxurious fashion possible, but while also doing your part in helping to combat climate change. Products from Sheets and Giggles are sustainably sourced and have as minimal an impact on our environment as possible. And given that it's been like 170,000 trillion degrees uh, across the country here lately, uh, you know, tropical storms hitting California, the water off the coast of Florida boiling. <laughs> um, you know, we're not long for this world if we don't start making some changes. So maybe you can help make the world a little less worse while also sleeping fantastically well on a soft set of sheets from Sheets and Giggles. We've got a couple of links in the show notes if you would like a pardon pie discount. Make sure you check that out. Now for the news. Trump apparently raised what appears to be $7.1 million over the course of the weekend since the release of his mugshot from when he was arraigned in Fulton County, Georgia the other day. Uh, The Trump campaign spokesman said on Friday alone, the campaign brought in $4.18 million, its highest grossing day to date. I personally think this fundraising haul was in large part Due to the fact that Trump briefly returned to Twitter after a two and a half year hiatus uh, to post one single fundraising tweet (laughs) with his mugshot 
and directing his supporters to go to DonaldJTrump.com to donate all their fucking hard-earned money. You know, not reading the fine print where a significant portion of their funds will be sent to his political action committee, which is doubling as his legal defense fund. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. Good luck with this, guys. I mean, you're going to spend all your campaign funds on fucking defending Trump in court. You're not going to have any money left to run for the election. Like, what does a presidential election look like for a campaign that has zero dollars on hand? I'm I'm excited to see that. I believe that's going to be the case uh, come next year. Eventually enough, people will see the fact that they're being fleeced and get tired of the grift and stop giving up their money, whether they, you know, continue to support Trump or not. Maybe they'll still vote for him. But I I think that the purse strings will draw a bit tighter and they will leave him hanging high and dry financially, or at least as far as giving up their own money is concerned. I mean, I guess it's entirely possible the wealthy donors could swing back around Trump's direction. Uh, since they appear to largely abandon him for DeSantis, Haley, and whatnot, Tim Scott and such. But yeah, I'm calling it now. Mark this podcast. Uh, I expect Trump's campaign to have financial troubles come the general election if he is somehow the nominee. Also, total side note here. Uh, Jesse Waters of Fox News fame commented on a show uh, about Trump's mugshot saying, quote, I say this with an unblemished record of heterosexuality. He looks good and he looks hard. Uh, Well, there's nothing about Trump that looks good or hard. And if anything on Trump is hard and you're a guy, well, we'll just say it's okay to be less than fully heterosexual. How about that? I, I can't believe anyone is referring to Trump's look as hard. Like, uh, anyway. There was also a lot of movement in the Georgia case over the course of the week besides just the arraignment. So, of course, we all saw Kenneth Cheesebro fin- file a motion for a speedy trial in Georgia. We don't have to get into, like, the particulars of Georgia state law, but basically requiring that his trial begin early November. Uh, and that includes having a jury seated by then. And, you know, given what's going on and a similar Rico case being tried by finding Willis's office, like jury selection can take some time. Of course, I expect she has a solution to have that handled. It, it appears that Kenneth Cheeseboro was attempting to, to call finding Willis's bluff in the event that maybe she wasn't actually prepared to go to trial with him and 18 other co-defendants that soon. But I do believe one of the one of the things that held her up from filing charges, apart from a number of the fake electors switching lawyers and agreeing to take the immunity deal in exchange for their cooperation. Apart from that, Fonnie Willis took the time to make sure she had the evidence in order and was in a position to go to trial as soon as she issued these indictments. Remember the the time from the announcement that the indictments were imminent to the actual indictments themselves was a few months, and they gave her office plenty of time to prepare and outline exactly how they would go about prosecuting every individual that came to be charged with RICO in this case. Now, there's been some speculation as to whether this was some kind of strategy by Cheese Bro in coordination with Trump to get Fonnie Willis and her team on the record in a trial with all of their evidence out in the open in order for him to prepare a better defense 
when he eventually heads to trial. I'm going to knock a few holes in that speculation. Um, for starters, well, part of the reason they're even in this situation where they're being charged in Georgia is because in the execution of their massive criminal conspiracy, they did a pretty fucking poor job. <laughs> they did a really poor job of coordinating together in such a way that this was feasible and that they might actually even pull it off. So they didn't do a good job coordinating during the actual criminal criminal conspiracy. And now with the stakes as high as possible with them potentially losing their fucking freedoms. Um, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say they're cooperating even less well than they were in the attempt to overturn the 2020 election. <laughs> And we've got a little more evidence of that in in this particular instance because, of course, not only does Trump not want a speedy trial, he wants to delay as long as possible, which his lawyers are already attempting to do. I also believe that Kenneth Cheesebro was looking at the presumption that Trump would invoke advice of counsel defense in his RICO trial, which means, well, practically, he'd be throwing Cheesebro and the other lawyers were involved in the criminal plot under the fucking bus. It's Trump's being like Trump being like, it was their idea to try and steal the election. I just followed their advice. Don't look at me. Right, so Cheeseboro is here thinking that if he can separate his trial from Trump's, uh, he's got a better chance of getting off the hook. I have unfortunate news for him. Um, given that he was at the Capitol on January 6th, no one's going to look at his activity in this plot to overturn the election in Georgia as like legitimate legal counsel. There's absolutely no fucking way. None. He's also got another issue because he's not alone in seeking his right to a speedy trial. <laughs> we also have John Eastman here, another architect of the fake elector plot who's invoked his right to a speedy trial, uh, meaning that Cheeseboro won't be tried alone. But of course, uh, this is the sham wow of criminal co-conspirators. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Sydney Powell has also filed a motion invoking her right to a speedy trial as well, meaning that Kenneth Cheeseboro will also be tried alongside John Eastman and the craziest bitch of the bunch, the, the cracking head, Sydney Powell. <laughs> which is going to make uh, whatever defense he attempts to mount in this trial a lot more complicated uh, because she's actually insane and engaged in a far wider range of criminal activity than just, you know, cooking up some fraudulent lectors and forging some documents. If you remember that crazy Oval Office meeting on, I believe, December 18th of 2020, uh, where Trump apparently made her special counsel uh, with the intentions of her seizing voting machines in states all across the country, uh, having votes thrown out, and potentially holding another election under like martial law, like at gunpoint by the military. <laughs> well, even though it appears that while Trump gave the order to have her name special account special counsel, he didn't follow through. But that didn't stop. That didn't stop Sidney Powell because the day after January 6th, what was she doing? Flying down to Georgia to break in the county election offices and illegally accessing voting machines and voting machine data and software and allegedly attempting to share that information with other individuals who did not have legal access to that data and to that software. Uh, that's not going to bode very well. <laughs> not going to bode very well. Uh, for 
Kenneth Cheeseboro's chances. Of course, like I assume these two people, Eastman and Powell, were also looking at Trump like, damn, bro, really ain't even out here trying to pay our legal bills like that. And he's probably going to throw us, throw us under the bus at trial. We'll take our chances with Cheeseboro here. Um, and of course, like I guess there is one potential scenario where this could have upside for Trump and that would be if like Cheeseboro was exonerated at trial but I mean given the quality of his um, future co-defendants here in October and obviously we don't know what non-public evidence that Fonnie Willis's office has but I would be certain that she has him dead to rights and also given the quality of his co-defendants here in Eastman as well as Powell I mean (laughs) it's likely to go all bad for him but if you think about it like the idea that Trump would have coordinated this with them given the fact that if they're going to trial and they're convicted holy shit man what does that mean for the rest of Trump's co-conspirators they might look at that and be like why would I spend this time going to trial to get a longer sentence when I could just cooperate and get a lesser sentence also the trial would just vote it like convictions for these people would vote poorly for Trump because in order to get a lighter sentence, they'll be like, all right, I'm guilty. But all of this was on Trump's orders. And I'm sure if I Willis says the evidence to prove that anyway, that like these individuals were acting in his direction, man, it's rough. It's rough times out here. Um, and I think what would likely be the, the nail in the coffin for Trump's potential chances of even somehow managing to steal the 2024 election is the fact that this trial will be televised on national TV, baby. Georgia do their thing. Like, you know, in Georgia state law, you're allowed to have cameras in the courtroom, access to criminal trials and such, unlike in federal court. Well, this thing is going to be blasted all over the airwaves. I mean, this will be the most watched thing since fucking OJ. I'm telling you now. I mean, this is close as we'll get to watching Trump get tried until Trump is tried. And I absolutely fucking guarantee you Everybody is going to be tuning in to that. And again, so the trial date is set for October. I don't know if this will have the potential to tank Trump's chances of being the GOP nominee. He's currently so far out ahead that unless something goes horribly awry for Trump, like he's practically the nominee. But again, a nationally televised trial uh, putting on evidence of Trump's attempt to illegally steal an election that can be very damaging it can be dam- very damaging for his supporters and his donors they could look at the potential consequences of of the events in that trial to mean that trump will likely be found guilty when he goes on trial and things could spiral downward from there like even if they want to support trump they could just see it as too risky like uh, again like the way we see it he likely won't be able to win in 2024 because he's got too much fucking baggage and they could make the electability argument and attempt to dump him as the actual votes for the primary roll around early next year. I don't know. But we've also got some other clues as to whether or not uh, Trump's defense is being coordinated with his other co-conspirators, such as, say, for instance, Mark Meadows attempting to have his case removed from state court and instead be tried in federal court which, you know, uh, there's a non-zero chance that he manages to pull off that argument uh, again because at the time of the activities, uh, 
indicated in the indictment, he was a federal officer. He was Trump's chief of staff. Now, obviously, you and I are like, what part of your job description is it to illegally try and overturn an election? (laughs) Right? Like, nowhere... Like, nowhere in the job description does it indicate that that is a part of your legal duties. Like, you're not putting that in a resume after you leave that job and move on to somewhere else. And, of course, Fonnie Willis made an incredible argument in court, uh, in a court filing, rather, uh, saying that whatever arguments um, Mark Meadows is making about how these criminal charges related to his federal duties like it already be impossible for that to be the case because the hatch act specifically states that that it's illegal for a federal employee to be involved in campaign activity while on the job right (laughs) so given that this was an attempt to help donald trump get elected he there's no way whatsoever that he can say any of this was part of his official duties so he got hatch act <laughs> and given that trump's practically resigned to facing trial in georgia state court and uh, meadows and a number of other ones other individuals are attempting to move their cases to federal court i mean no one's on the same page here and i guess like the only explanation you could possibly give if we somehow do find that this is a coordinated strategy is that the strategy is utter fucking chaos right just just have so many people doing so many different things in an attempt to overwhelm uh willis and her office in the court system in such a way that they're not able to aptly prosecute everyone involved i I don't know I, i don't think that's the case i mean that seems like a huge stretch again a strategy that would be too complicated for Trump and his dumbass criminal conspirators to like conceive of, let alone execute. Like including his legal team. <laughs> like I don't even think his legal team is is adept enough to pull off some sophisticated plan to try and, and dodge his legal jeopardy. We have an example of that actually in a totally separate Trump-related criminal case down in Florida with the classified documents charges. Uh, So a few weeks ago, Stan Woodward, who appears to be representing literally everyone involved in in Trump's conspiracy to obstruct justice down in Florida in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents case, he went on Fox News and was complaining uh, about some activity going on with Jack Smith's investigation where they were using a grand jury in D.C. Uh, and apropos of nothing, soon after, Judge Cannon, uh, who we know to, or at least appears to be, in the tank for Trump, even as she's presiding over his case, basically made a motion of her own asking Jack Smith's team, like, why Trump's been indicted in Florida and he's continuing to use a grand jury in the District of Columbia to further the investigation. Well, Smith's team attempted to file a motion under seal about what was taking place in the grand jury in D.C. And Cannon was like, nah, ho, tell everybody what the fuck is going on. We all need to know. And Jack Smith was like, all right, cool, I got you, homie. So apparently, Yusil Tavares 
the Mar-a-Lago IT guy uh, who attempted at the direction of Trump and and with the help of the maintenance guy, Carlos De Oliveira, attempted to delete the security camera footage at Mar-a-Lago through any means necessary, whether it be by by flood or by fire. <laughs> well, Tavares, he had previously testified earlier in the spring to Jack Smith's grand jury in D.C., saying basically, tapes what tapes? Tapes, mapes. My name is Bennett, and I ain't in it. <laughs> well, apparently that was an obvious lie. Uh, and Jack Smith had the evidence to prove such and he had received a target letter basically saying that he was going to be indicted for perjuring himself well for Tavares to come in and change his testimony to accurately reflect what had happened that change in testimony would conflict with his other potential co-defendant Carlos Deliovera who had already been charged with obstruction of justice and who was also being represented by, and you guessed it, Stanley Woodward. Ruh row. <laughs> and that, my friends, is what they call in the legal industry a conflict of interest. So Jack Smith's team wanted to hold a Garcia hearing, a process by which a defendant is informed of the fact that his legal counsel has a potential conflict of interest and may not be able to fully represent him in his best interest in ongoing criminal proceedings. Well, Jack Smith's team uh, had a public defender come in and counsel Tavares and explain the situation, and Tavares immediately moved to have Stanley Woodward dropped as his legal counsel and instead went with the public defender and immediately changed his testimony to the D.C. grand jury where he was being investigated for perjury and started cooperating with special counsel Jack Smith's office. And then Woodward and Trump's people were like, damn, why is Jack Smith's team setting us on fire like this in public? Bro, Judge Cannon brought brought this up. She did this to y'all. Jack Smith tried to file this shit sealed out of the public spotlight and the judge that's in Trump's pocket, Judge Cannon was like, nah, let's hear what you got. (laughs) So now that Tavares is going to be a witness in the case against Daly Overa, you know, clearly because Woodward previously represented Tavares, like he's not in a position to cross-examine Tavares fairly uh, in a way that would both hold up his responsibility to his current client in Daly Overa, but also respect his attorney-client privilege with Tavares. So again, more conflict of interest. And <laughs> in arguing to Judge Cannon on how to resolve that potential conflict of interest, he's like, well, we can settle this right now. We'll just exclude Tavares from testifying, and that'll solve that. We'll just eliminate the witness altogether. <laughs> So if you can see why I'm like, yeah, there's probably no chance that this move by Cheesebro and others in the Georgia case is indicative of some cooperation and coordination with Trump and his team. Like, look at the shit show that's going on in Florida. Like, they can't even get their witnesses straight in that case. Also, Woodward was recommended to Tavares 
by one of Trump's campaign lawyers. So it's not like Tavares went out and found this guy on his own. Like this is a recommendation coming from Trump's people. And also Woodward is being paid by Trump's pack. <laughs> like what the fuck? And then the second Tavares gets rid of the lawyer that's on Trump's payroll, voila, he's cooperating and might potentially dodge prison time. Imagine that. Now, I can only imagine what Trump's other co-conspirators are thinking, looking around at this situation like, hmm, maybe if Trump is paying for my legal fees, I might not be getting the best possible representation because my lawyer isn't looking out for my interests. He's looking out for Trump's. What a dilemma. Well, at least if Trump's other co-defendants decide to ditch their Trump lawyer and start cooperating with investigators, I mean, you know, it'll save Trump some money. He'll have something to spend on his fucking campaign in 2024. (laughs) Not that he's going to win. I mean, I guess that's throwing his money away as well. But again, well, you know, technically it's not even his own money. It's coming from his supporters. In which case, I'm fine with them throwing their money away only to watch their lord and savior Donald Trump and his, you know, 18 apostles in Georgia end up in prison for years anyway. And that concludes this episode of Pardon the Insurrection.